Good morning, church. Greetings from Santiago de Chile. My name is Nelson Barreto, and this is our beautiful family, my wife, Carolina. Good morning, family. And our awesome daughters. Hi, I'm Gabby. Hi, I'm Anna. I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, I'm honored to bring the Word of God to each one of us this morning. But before that, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can be together as family, together with our brothers and sisters from abroad, coming before you because we want to listen to your word. We want to be inspired by your son and follow him. Father, I pray that you be with each one of us and that the spirit, your spirit, speaks to our hearts, to our friends, to our family members that are here with us, and that we could decide today to draw closer to you. Father, thank you for this special time together. We pray all this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. You know, Chile is a beautiful place. We have mountains. We have the ocean. We have rivers that are beautiful. It's a great place. But it has one negative. And it's called El Paquete Chileno. Or the Chilean package. And this is a slogan used to communicate how easily you could get robbed, stolen, or deceived in Chile. Let me tell a little story about myself and what happened. Last year, I was selling a cell phone that I wasn't using anymore. It was actually my sister's cell phone. And we posted it online to sell it here in Chile. And after many people replied, finally, one person agreed to buy the cell phone. So... I went to the metro station uh, to meet with this gentleman, and this guy shows up, sharply looking, glasses, a suit on. We talk for a couple of minutes. We get to know each other a little bit. I invited him to church. You know, we looked at the phone. He liked it, and he goes, okay, great. Listen, we're going to transfer the funds to your bank account, and once you see that you receive the funds, you know, I'll take the phone. I'm like, great, wonderful. We waited. Uh, then he gets a text, I get a text, and he shows a picture that uh, the money, the funds, were deposited. So I'm like, great, you know, I give him the phone, he leaves, we shake hands, hey, I hope you can come to church next time, I'll send you a message. 24 hours later, no funds in the account. 48 hours later, no funds in the account, no money. I'm like, what happened? I, I, saw, the, I saw the transfer. So I called the bank and, listen, I have, I have a, a deposit here made. Here's the deposit number and the funds are not in my account. So it took a little while, you know, for them to get back to me and let me know what happened. So finally, they, the bank calls me up. It's like, sir, we're so sorry. Those funds were deposited on an envelope or in an envelope. And once the tellers opened the envelope, there was nothing in them. There was nothing in the envelope. I'm like, what are you talking about? There was a cash deposit. You allow cash being deposited in an envelope? They're like, well, yes, sir. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. Now, I remember years, years, years ago, you were able to do that in the States, but I thought if you were to deposit cash, you do it. No envelope, right? You put the money in the machine. But yet, they still do that here in Chile. So, here I am, no funds, 
Of course, I try to contact the person and no answer. You know what happened? I was completely deceived. Let me ask you, have you ever been deceived? I mean, it's embarrassing to acknowledge, but we're more easily deceived than we would like to admit. Well, the title of today's message is Deceiving Ground. And there is one important thought for all of us to meditate on and remember from today's message. If you forget everything, I want you to remember these words. Even if the ground feels solid, we must humble ourselves to recognize the deceiving ground. You see, God knows how easily deceived we can be. In these times of pandemic, in these times that we're living right now, in the difficult times, quarantine and what's going on around us socially, we're facing difficult times, times of uncertainty. And God, in His amazing love and wisdom, He wants to guide us and protect us from being misguided, deceived, or lost. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. At this point of Matthew, Jesus is finishing the Sermon on the Mount, which he began in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, all the way to Matthew chapter 7, verse 27. And Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this amazing, simple, but yet profound illustration. Let's read on. In verse 24 of chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because he had his foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And he fell with a great crash. What can we see so easily in this story? But we can see two builders, one prudent and one foolish. We could see two houses, one stood the test, the other one crashed. Two foundations on the rock on the sand, one major disaster, but two very different results. One stood strong. The other one fell with a great crash. 
Jesus said. You know, I would like to tell you that I am here as the wise and prudent builder, as the expert. But in reality, it is not so. The truth is, even as a disciple of Christ, my house has come down and crashed several times. You know, even preparing this class, this message, one thing I did was ask God for forgiveness. Because so many times I have built on sand instead of rock. Therefore, I am here before you, not as a prudent, wise builder, but rather as a foolish, repentant builder who's learning constantly how to build on solid ground and not on the deceiving ground. See, the truth is that we're all builders, whether we like it or not. Right now, you're building something in your life. Whether you're in school or you're on campus, whether you're single or married, whether you're a dad or a mom or grandfather or grandmother or an uncle or an aunt, whether you work securely or you work in the ministry, we are all building something. Even those that said, oh, you know, I'd rather stay in bed and not build anything. Even you are building. We can't escape it. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Which builder do you want to be? The wise or the foolish? Which house do you want to build? A house that stands the test or a house that crashes? Which foundation do you want to lay? The, the solid on the rock or, or the sand and superficial? Well, we know the answer to these questions, right? I mean, they are obvious. We want a strong house. We want to lay a deep foundation. We want to build on the rock. We want to be good and prudent and wise builders, of course. Because we know that what Jesus said is true. The storm is coming. It's going to hit you. It's going to hit me. Maybe it already came. I mean, it's coming. The storm is coming. The storm reaches us all. Good people. Bad people. Honest and dishonest people. Christians and non-Christians. Believers and non-believers. The storm comes for all of us. But the result will be different. Depending on where you build. Let me ask you another question. Why would anyone build on sand instead of rock or solid ground? I mean, if you ask anyone, you know, sand or rock. I mean, it doesn't take an architect. It doesn't take a civil engineer. You know, even a child will tell you, of course, the solid ground. No one's going to say, oh, yes, build on sand. Of course not. We would all say we build on the rock. So if that is the case, I have a question for all of us. And this is an important question. Why do we build on sand so easily and sadly so often? Why do we do that? You see, I believe we build on sand because he seems to us as firm 
as work. The sand of our opinions, emotions, thoughts and feelings, they seem so firm and strong that we are blinded to the fact that it's not solid ground. We build on sand because we are deceived. And you know what happens once you are deceived? I mean, once you're blinded, well, you don't know what you're doing. You don't see. It's what happened to me, right? I was deceived that I'm giving this guy the phone. He stole the phone, the, the phone from me without a fight. Can you believe that? There was no police involved, no fighting, no nothing, no wrestling. I actually, I gave it to him. I gladly and happily let myself be robbed. Because I was deceived. You see, once we are deceived, the lie becomes our truth. The weak and superficial ground is now as solid as rock. So once we are deceived, the lie becomes our truth. And once the lie becomes our truth, the deceiving ground becomes the rock we build on. And sadly, more often than we would like to admit, we build on a lie. We build on sand. You might ask Nelson, but which sand are you talking about? Well, the sand of selfishness? The sand of our own sinful desires? The sand of pleasing others? The sand of bad habits, the deceiving ground of debauchery, the deceiving ground of instant gratification, the sand of greed, of selfish ambition. You know, the, the deceiving ground of holding grudges, the sand of hatred. Hmm. How about the sand of my way is the only right way? The deceiving ground of, I know what I'm doing. I don't need any help. That's the sign I'm talking about. That's the deceiving ground I'm talking about. And I know that maybe, just maybe, some of you may be as bold as to be thinking or saying, Oh, not me, Nelson. I don't get deceived. Look at what God says in Jeremiah 17. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. The NLT version says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is exceedingly corrupt. PDT version in, in Spanish says, no hay nada más engañoso que el corazón. No tiene remedio. He has no remedy. The heart is deceitful and it has no remedy, God says. So if you think you don't get deceived, my friend, I'm here to tell you, you are deceived already. See, Jesus explains why we get deceived. He says, he hears these words and does not put them into practice. 
It's amazing. There are areas in our lives where Jesus is speaking to and we do not listen and we do not put them into practice. We don't obey them. We hear the words of Jesus, but we don't follow them. And I want to ask all of us, why do we do that? How is it? How is it possible that we listen to Jesus' words? I mean, he's Jesus. He's Son of God, Lord of Lords, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is Jesus. Even, even non-believers, a lot of them believe that Jesus is an important and wise, an important and wise person. So why don't we listen to him? Why don't we follow his advice, his teachings? Oh, it happened to me so many times, even as a disciple. In these almost 27 years of trying to follow after Jesus' footsteps, my house has collapsed so many times. And you know why? It has been for not obeying Christ. I mean, I have lost jobs. I've lost businesses. I've heard valuable and beautiful people in my life, friendships. When I have made my wife, my children suffer. You know why? Especially for my lack of patience. I'm embarrassed to say, but for my anger, for losing my patience. Because when things don't go my way, I tend to fret. I tend to get angry. Why? Why is it so hard for me to be patient? Think about it. Because of my pride. I'm embarrassed to say because sometimes I think that I know better. That I know better than my wife. I know better than other people. You see, I thought growing up in the faith that by nature I was only selfish. Which I am by nature very selfish. But in recent years, in the last five, six years, I've I seen, I realized how prideful I am. In other words, in my sinful nature, I am completely selfish. And now I realize I am totally prideful as well. I mean, what a disaster I am. In the words of Paul, I feel like that. What, what a miserable and wretched man I am. I need Christ more than ever. You see, the point is realizing why? Why do we keep building on deceiving ground? Why we don't listen to Jesus' words? Why we don't put them into practice? And the Word of God has the answer for us in many scriptures. Just to quote a couple of them. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 8, 13 says, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. See, the only reason we hear the words of Jesus and do not obey them is because of our pride. Pride, arrogance, deceives us. Arrogance doesn't allow us to obey Jesus and therefore we're not able to build properly or make wise decisions. Pride blinds 
and deceives us all. He pushes to say things like I know better, like I nobody can help me. Oh, I'm fine. Pride doesn't allow us to be open with others or to allow others to give us feedback. Pride hates constructive criticism. Doesn't allow you, doesn't allow me to, to see the foundation in which we're building. Pride doesn't allow you to open your life and, and ask for help on how to be a parent, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a boss, how to be a manager, how to be an employee. Pride blinds us. So how do we avoid being deceived? Well, the answer lies in the beginning of the sermon. Not in the beginning of my sermon, the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the mount. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And let's listen to how Jesus began this sermon. In Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. And I ask, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the word poor in the original form as Jesus used it, is the word tochos, which signifies someone who lives in total poverty. Someone who depends completely on the charity of others in order to survive. He can't he can help himself. He can't provide for himself. He lives in complete poverty. Someone who has absolutely nothing, no resources, for more than he tries, tomorrow he wakes up poor. A condition of being eternally destitute. This is what the word that Jesus used. And then Jesus adds the word spirit to that word. Poor in spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying the spiritually destitute. That's what he's referring to. The NLT version says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Someone tocho realizes a need for God. Someone tocho says, I cannot do it alone. I am not able. I'm not capable. I don't have what it takes. I need spiritual help from God and from others. In everything, not in some things. You know, the, the, the poor in spirit, the torturing spirit is like, I need help in everything because I'm poor, I'm a sinner. Man, if I do it without God, if I do it without guidance, if I do it without help, I destroyed everything. You see, the insolent, the foolish builder thinks very differently. Oh, he knows everything. <laughs> He doesn't need help. I know how to do it. I don't need anybody. Therefore, he doesn't ask for help because he's deceived or she's deceived in his or her heart. And once you are deceived, the lie becomes your truth. And once the lie becomes your truth, the deceiving ground 
becomes the rock you build on. So we need to be humble. We must humble ourselves. Avoiding the deceiving ground requires humility. You see, humility goes hand in hand with being open and vulnerable with our weakness. We see this in God, Jesus, and the Apostles. Like with the Apostle Paul who wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he consider me truth worthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. In verse 15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul is being vulnerable and open with not only his past, but also with his present. And who do we see to whom he's been open and real regarding his weakness? He's been open and real with his disciple Timothy. You see, when we're not open or vulnerable, we're deceived by thinking, if I am open, others won't respect me. I will lose authority. Others won't listen to me. And I ask you, did Paul lose respect with Timothy? Did Timothy stop following Paul's advice? No, not at all. Moreover, Paul once wrote in 2 Corinthians 11.30, If I most boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul made sure to talk about his weakness. Paul was vulnerable, humble, you know, there is something wonderful I found when we are like Paul, open and vulnerable with those we serve. When you're humble and open with someone you're helping to grow, you're forming humility in them. When you continue to be constantly humble and open, you're building vulnerability in them. As they begin to imitate you and naturally without asking, they begin to be vulnerable to you. When you persist in being humble and open, you're promoting humility, since they in turn will begin to be humble and open with others. For example, sometimes when Nelson and I go out to help somebody spiritually, we argue, and believe me, this happens many times, more than once, and when we get there, the first thing we do is sit down, be open, uh, just tell them what happened, how we feel. And it's great because sometimes they also have argue and we, we're, everybody's open and we help each other and we get out of there happy. And in turn, they do the same thing with others. We believe we need to be open and real with our fears, anxieties, temptations, sins, thoughts. This, although it's difficult, is very good because it produces a chain of many benefits, such as love, honesty, closeness, trust, security, 
and deep and sincere friendships. Also, this way, vulnerability can spread throughout the church and prevent us from being so easily deceived by our own opinions, emotions, or feelings. The truth is, we are always under the danger of being deceived. And once deceived, the only way to see the truth is getting help. Help from God, help from others. You see, like Proverbs 15, 31, 32, that says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. The times of being humble are going to help. The times I have humbled myself and being vulnerable and open, I've been able to realize what sin, where deceiving ground is, the lessons that God has been gracefully taught me throughout these years. Has allowed us to see the path that we should take. You know, when we came to Chile five years ago, it was a really difficult situation in the church. The church had gone to splits, unresolved conflict, apathy, lack of trust. And you know, when we came here, disciples asked us, what's your plan, brother? What's your plan for the church? And I said, I'll be honest with you. My plan is to pray and to listen. I'm going to pray to God for help. And I'm going to listen to him and listen to the Spirit through the brotherhood. And it was so awesome just to be humble, open, vulnerable, share that with others, create friendships. And what God has done in the past five years has been amazing. Local brothers and sisters have risen up. God has healed the church. God has transformed their hearts. People are family. They love one another deeply from their heart. Many have come to God and restored their relationship with God or, or come to Christ for the first time. And, and actually in 30 years, for the first time, the church is poised to be financially independent. And I can honestly say that it is God and His Word that has been rebuilding the church in Chile. And I don't say it as if I was an expert or the wise builder who's never been wrong. Quite the opposite. Of all the disasters I have experienced, I have drawn one conclusion. The expert builder is not the one who's never experienced a disaster, but rather one whose house have crashed enough to know that the only way not to be deceived is being humble. So my prayer and the plea from Jesus and God today is even if the ground feels solid, we must humble ourselves to recognize the deceiving ground. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And before we do, I would like us to think about the humility 
vulnerability of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you and I remember Matthew 26, 37, 39. Hours before Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He took his three best friends, right? And he says in verse 38 that Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he goes on and prays to his father in verse 39. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus was vulnerable, humble, open with his emotions, his thoughts, his fears. With whom? With his father in heaven, but also with his disciples that he led. And he thanks to that openness, to his persistent prayer, to his humility, that he got the strength to die for you and for me. So, as we pray today for communion, please meditate on this. For Jesus, when the ground fell solid, he humbled himself. When the grounds of his emotion and feelings felt so solid, he humbled himself to recognize the deceiving ground. And thanks to his humility, we can be saved. And take this communion today with gratitude and sincere hearts. So please let us pray for communion. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your son. Thank you for those that imitated your son. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who was able to give his life for us because he was humble, because he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. I pray that we can take communion with gratitude giving him thanks because he gave it all. He was not afraid of being humble. He was not afraid of being vulnerable. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life for us. Today, we partake of the bread and the juice of the vine, Jesus, thinking of you. Thank you for your humility. Thank you for your love. Father, it's in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray for this communion. Amen.